Well, good morning. Thank you, Dad, again. That was special. Uh, when we moved here to this area, we're about seven hours away from where Dad and Sandy live. That's the closest I've lived since I was 18. So none of our other four children did we have that opportunity, and so I was grateful Dad and Sandy were able to come down, and, and he was able to do that. And I appreciate Mark shortening things up a bit. You know, my mom's grandfather and father both preached and taught in seminary, and at the seminary, evidently, my great-grandfather was, his name was L.S. Bauman, and people called him Long Sermon Bauman. And my grandfather, mom's dad, was Paul Ruby Bauman, so people called him Papa Repeater. And uh, maybe that, that trend has continued. But I appreciated all of it. So. Well, as we finish up Revelation 20 this morning and we look at the great white throne judgment, this is the last judgment in the book of Revelation. That the seven years of God pouring out his wrath on the earth for its sin and rebellion of him is now over. We've had the thousand-year millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ with him on the throne. And then the final rebellion where Satan is released, again, I said last week, I think it shows again who Satan is, and it shows the heart of man, and, and as God has quashed that, we now come to the great white throne. This is the final judgment. In the next two chapters, we will get to look at what eternity will look like for us. But before we get there, sin has to be dealt with. With doing the baby dedication this morning, I was, I was thinking about, you know, children and as believers, that is our goal, that we, that we live our lives in such a way, that we proclaim God's truth in such a way, that they want to know Jesus, that they want to follow Jesus. And as a parent, that is our main focus, but there are, are so many things that we try to teach our children and ingrain into them. You know, it, sometimes a hard thing for, for children to learn because they're so focused on whatever has their attention at the moment that the things around them have value. And so one way you can teach them to be mindful of the things around them and if they break something, that they need to, to make it right. And if they're really little, they may not be able to, to pay for it, but if they have some nickels in their their piggy bank, then, well, you need to give that to mommy and daddy. And they might have been saving because they wanted to get whatever they could get when they, they earn their small amounts of money, but no, that no longer belongs to you. You have to make a repayment for what you've broken. God made a perfect world, and man broke it. had a fun conversation with Caroline I love that five-year-old mind and the way it works. This was a couple months ago, and uh, we were talking about something that had happened that day. And she had this real concerned look on her face, and like you know, you can almost see the, the smoke coming out of her ears as her brain is. And she says, uh, "I really wish Adam and Eve hadn't sinned. 
then I wouldn't do these bad things. I said, sweetheart, I hate, hate to break this to you. But if they hadn't sinned, somebody else would have. And if all of mankind had existed without sin until this very moment, it would have been you. <laughs> None of us can put that blame solely on them. We are all guilty of this. And a repayment must be made. So throw out a, a couple theological words. You know, Dad's here this morning. I, I love his, he's told me the story. When he graduated from Ohio State, you know, he was, got saved late in high school and started growing in his faith during college and then went right from getting a business degree at Ohio State to Dallas Theological Seminary with Dr. Walvert and Dr. Ryrie and some of the greatest theological minds of that century there at the school. And Dad said three days in, he almost quit because he didn't understand the words that people were using. A couple words that you might hear that get thrown around are atonement and propitiation. Atonement is making something right. It is, if there is a debt that needs to be paid, it is paying that debt. It is making it right. And the Greek word that's translated propitiation means appeasement. In this case, when we're looking at Jesus, it is appeasement that is necessitated by sin. That for to make things right with God, for there to be an atonement, there had to be a payment, and Jesus is that payment. So our big idea today is a very simple one. Jesus paid it all. And as we look at this final judgment and we think of these things that are, are heart-wrenching and heartbreaking, it brings out something else that should be awe-inspiring to us, and that is Jesus paid it all. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and the chance we have to be here in this church, in this church body, in this church family. God, I pray that as we are in your word today, that you will, that you will use it to, to cut through us, that we know that you, you see us and that you know us and that you've given us your word. Help it to, to change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we start here in John, Revelation 20, verse 11, John says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. Again, when you see that, then I saw, in the, in the Greek it's really and. He starts there with, the, with an and. It's a chronological sequence. John isn't just, again, with children. I mean, an interesting thing when you have a, a small child telling you a story, the facts just come from all over the place, and you have to decipher what order did these things happen in? That's not the case here. John is telling us, and then I saw. Then I saw. And so after God ends this last rebellion and deals with Satan, John then sees this great white throne. This throne here being described as great is John presenting God as the ultimate judge. The ultimate judge has taken his throne and he is ready to dispense with judgment. Earlier in the chapter, when we see at the beginning of the, the millennial kingdom and John sees saints sitting on thrones, I said that 
the thrones were viewed as a place to rule from, but also to judge from. And unlike those saints sitting on thrones, God is the ultimate judge who has the authority to judge everyone. And in presenting it here as white, is showing the righteousness of God and the righteousness of his judgments upon mankind. I want to think about this judgment and we think about all that has happened, not only in the book of Revelation and all of these things that John sees happening in the future, but all that has happened in mankind. You think about it, I mean, it's another one of those things that I don't think we can fully comprehend, that God has existed forever in eternity past and eternity future that in our concepts of time I mean a hundred years is a long time a thousand years is forever uh, eternity but that God throughout all of eternity has existed in a sinless perfect form and yet in time as we view it there is this tiny little blip where sin has existed and this is where it comes to an end it's done. The final judgment is coming and sin is done. Second half of that first verse there, or verse 11 there, says, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And so as God takes his seat on his throne, ready to judge, heaven and earth flee from him. And it presents his magnitude and his his awe, the glory of who he is. But I think I also see, as John sees this, a remarkable similarity to when <clears throat> sin came into the world. That when sin came into the world, what did Adam and Eve do? They hid, they fled from the presence of a holy God. And as God is now finally ready to bring judgment, that as he promised Adam and Eve, that the day that they sinned, that death would enter the world, and it did, and it has reigned forever, that that time is coming to an end. And even heaven and earth are fleeing from his presence. As we start verse 12 here through 14, we now see the judgment and the end of sin and death. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds the dead that are here are the unsaved people of all time that there is finally a resurrection of those who have lived and never believed in jesus or prior to Jesus living, believing in God's promise of providing a Messiah, a way to make things right. That they never had the faith that Jesus describes of a child, that they were able to humble themselves and say, I can't do it. I need you, God. That I need Jesus. I need his payment for my sin. And because of that, they appear here before this throne. And God has records of everything that has ever been done and these books are opened and people are judged according to their deeds. People from all classes of humanity. As John says, they're great and small. It doesn't matter who you were in this earthly life. I evidently didn't get that on well. 
felt like it was falling off. It doesn't matter who you were in this life that this moment is going to come. Without Jesus, you will be standing before God, giving an account, seeing if your deeds measure up to who God is. One of the books there is the Book of Life, which contains our names, the names of those who have believed. One of the things I think is interesting here and that I was talking about with some recent, I've always found... It's something I believe in, but something that it's not a hill I would die on, but that as we see this, that as God is judging people according to their deeds, that all of those who have not believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life are going to face eternal separation from God. But that the, I believe that as he is judging them according to their deeds, that there will be differing punishments for for different people. Just as with believers at the Bema seat are given different rewards for their faithfulness that those who have not believed uh, will not. Romans 2.6, Paul says that God will render to each person according to his deeds. I think no one's deeds are going to equal eternal life. That if your name isn't written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you will, you will never earn it. But I, I think that as God is judging that that is part of this picture here. Again, it's not made perfectly clear, but it's, it's something to keep in mind as we see God, the perfect judge, and who he is. Um, and we see that throughout time that he is the one who does bring vengeance and, and justice and all of these things, that that is not for us to worry about, um, that that is happening at this moment. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. So this verse describes the resurrection of the dead, and John is, is giving us further information of, of what is going on here. And so timeline-wise, this would, would fit early in the verse before, but, but he's giving this full explanation now of, of everyone that is there. And as we saw back in verse 6 of chapter 20, where it said, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God in Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That first resurrection is to life. The second resurrection is to death. He brings up even those in the sea. That, I mean, nothing is beyond God. In that time that uh, death by drowning was viewed as is really bad. Uh, John says, even those that have, have died at sea have drowned. Their bodies are gone. That in our conception of them, it may feel different than burying someone in the ground, but that, that God is able to resurrect all of these bodies and reunite these people with their bodies so they can face this judgment. Hades is a temporary abode of, of unbelievers of their spirits until the great white throne. It's interesting. Uh, God's word doesn't give us a whole lot of description that during this time, I mean, I'm talking about now, not at the judgment, of what exactly happens after we die. And Paul says that to be absent with, from the body is to be present with the Lord. I and mean, when we know 
that we are going to be in his presence. Uh, but what exactly that looks like, people will ask me questions when a loved one passes away. Well, what do you think they're at? What do you think they're doing? And we get a picture in Jesus' parable in Luke 16 of, of the, the rich man and Lazarus that they both go to a place, one of torment and one of paradise, as described. We don't have a whole lot of detail, but I think that is what it's talking about here is Hades is sort of what we see is where the rich man is at uh, in that parable that Jesus told, that their spirits are brought up out of where God is holding them until this judgment. In In the New Testament, is referred to in numerous places as Hades. In the Old Testament, Sheol is this, this place where the dead go. And he mentions here again at the, the verse, end of verse 13, as he did at the end of verse 12, that all of these people who were brought there are judged according to their deeds. Now, every, every man-made religion, and even people without religion, because we're all created to worship, we are created to worship God, but in the absence of having God in our lives, we, I mean, who do we tend to worship? Ourselves. And so every man-made religion puts the focus on your deeds, on what you do. That we can call them man-made religions, but I really think that you can see the influence of Satan on mankind shaping their, their view of eternity and life and that these things as they are brought about, that he will take pieces here and there from God's truth, but he always leaves out grace, that he always leaves out Jesus's payment for your sins, and that it always comes down to what have you done? Does the good outweigh the bad? Have you done these deeds? I've told you numerous times about the, the Muslim funerals I used to do. One of the, the really interesting things with them, we would go to the mosque and I would park the funeral hearse there behind the building where they would take the, the casket in. And I would have to bring every funeral flag that we had because it didn't matter if it was a child or a 90-year-old man that hadn't talked to someone in 10 years. You would have... 150 cars going to the cemetery. Because in the Muslim faith, being a part of a burial was a good deed and everyone wanted to show up. That's a pretty easy good deed. I can show up, I can say the things I'm supposed to say, I can fight my way to the front and try to carry the casket. And they would do these things because they were trying to earn Allah's praise in there. What does God's word tell us about our deeds? Isaiah 64, 6, as Isaiah is crying out to God in that chapter and giving him his praise for the things he has done and how awesome he is and the things he has done for Israel and their, how bad they have been. And he says, our deeds are like filthy rags to you. Even our good deeds are tainted with sin. And there is nothing we could ever do to earn God's eternity with God because of our sin that we cannot earn that one of my favorite memories Eric actually has a video of it 
is Julia when she was in Cubbies and Kaylin, that when she would teach them their verses, she would clap with them. And this video of, of Julia going, all have sinned. All have sinned. Romans 3.23, it is true. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Deeds aren't going to cut it. Verse 14, And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Verse 14 here begins this picture of, of what this end looks like. As God does away with death and Hades, that, that punishment that was brought into the world for sin is now gone because sin has been eliminated and Hades is no longer needed and they are, they are done away with. Verse 15, as he concludes what he sees here at the great white throne, he says, And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I started this off with saying our, our big idea is that Jesus paid it all. I think this verse is the key to understanding this judgment and what Jesus did on the cross. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 18. Paul says, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 1 Timothy 2 Paul says something similar to Timothy, verses 5 and 6. He says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Probably one of the clearest verses is 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, again remember the, the payment to make it right, for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus paid it all. This is how we make sense of offers that God made, like in John 3.16, that because of God's love for the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes. But if Jesus paid it all, why are these unbelievers facing judgment? Why does it tell us here in verse 15 that they are, they are sent to the lake of fire? John makes it clear in what he saw that they are sent to the lake of fire because their name was not written in the Lamb's book of life. In John 6, Jesus was asked, what must we do to do the works of God? And he replies in verse 29 of John 6 that the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. He says, the only thing you can do is believe in me. It is the only way to spend eternity with God, to be a possessor of eternal life, is to believe in Jesus Christ. 
Because deeds won't cut it. You cannot work your way there. You can never earn it. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the reason. That Jesus has paid for the sin, but because they never believed in him for it, they have not earned their way there. They are sent to eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. I heard a, a read once from a, a theologian that said that the Yes, in a temporal sense, the world has a terrible sin problem. But in an eternal sense, it is not the sin problem, it's a son problem. Do you believe? It's an interesting... A couple weeks ago at Thelma Yoder's funeral, we looked briefly at John 11 in our conclusion, and I always found it fascinating when it says that Jesus wept, and it says he was... He was had this turmoil within himself, and that turmoil it was really anger. You think, why is Jesus crying? He knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He's crying because he created a perfect world. And at that moment, he confronts the ultimate reality of sin in the death of his close friend. But Jesus' words to his sister Martha... She says, I know you can do whatever you want. I know that he will be raised in the last day. She believed in him. And Jesus confronts her with her doubts and her fears. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So as we conclude, and we look at that, Jesus paid it all. We ask that question, and in the affirmative, it is great joy and hope in that. But as I have continually said, as we look at the world around us, and we look at this judgment, and you can think of the worst atrocities in mankind's history, and I remember in junior high, we took a... a school trip to Washington, D.C., and we went to the Holocaust Museum, and the pictures of the hundreds and thousands of people standing in lines and waiting certain death was, was heartbreaking, and it's something that shapes a young mind. Think of recently the things that have gone on and these death tolls that just seemingly multiplied daily in Turkey with these earthquakes and the buildings that crumbled and the people were crushed. And you, it's hard to imagine that kind of death toll. That is a death of the body, but the spirit lives on. And here these spirits are reunited with those bodies and they face eternal separation from the holy God. And if that doesn't inspire us to share this good news about Jesus and what he has paid for as he hung on that cross and he said, it is finished, the payment is done. That he went willingly. That he was beaten and mocked and nailed to that tree so that he could pay for the sins of the world. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the world. First John 2, 2. Secondly, as we look at how do we apply this beyond just having that heart, 
should have told you to stay there. Go back with me to 2 Corinthians 5. Read it in some more of the context as he is talking about things of this earth and eternal things. Start in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled himself, us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, Paul says in several different ways throughout his letters to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. He's expressing that here through Christ's death and what God has done through Christ for us. And that he says there repeatedly that God has now given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's done the work, but it is our job to take it to the world around us that we are ambassadors for Christ. So live like it. Take the enormity of what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me and for the world and let it shape your heart for the people around you. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. I love that song. I won't sing it for you. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. Came and changed the leopard spots, and it melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He did pay it all. And we owe him everything. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation to go into the world and to tell them about this good news about the payment for the thing that is keeping them from God, that will separate him, them from God for eternity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for giving us Jesus. God, we thank you that from the moment that mankind sinned, that you made a promise to make it right, to make an atonement, a payment that we couldn't pay. God, help that knowledge, that realization of what Jesus did, that as he took on the sins of the world, that as he was separated from you, that as he was enduring physical pain that could not compare to what he was experiencing in paying for our sins, that, that in knowing that, that we can't help but to share it and to live a life that makes others ask, 
What do you have? God, let the knowledge that you have shared with us shape our hearts and our minds and our actions and that we might walk in a manner worthy of what you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray.